Book fourteen, chapters eight through twelve of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by Saint Augustine of Hippo, Book fourteen, Chapter eight. Those emotions which the Greeks call eupathei, and which Cicero calls constantiae, the Stoics would restrict to three, and instead of three perturbations in the soul of the wise man, they substituted severally, in place of desire, will, in place of joy, contentment, and for fear, caution, and as to sickness or pain, which we, to avoid ambiguity, preferred to call sorrow, they denied that it could exist in the mind of a wise man. Will, they say, seeks the good, for this the wise man does. Contentment has its object in good that is possessed, and this the wise man continually possesses. Caution avoids evil, and this the wise man ought to avoid. But sorrow arises from evil that has already happened. And as they suppose that no evil can happen to the wise man, there can be no representative of sorrow in his mind. According to them, therefore, none but the wise man wills, is contented, uses caution, and that the fool can do no more than desire, rejoice, fear, be sad. The former three affections Cicero calls constantiae, the last four perturbationes. Many, however, call these last passions, and, as I have said, the Greeks call the former eupathei, and the latter pathe. And when I made a careful examination of Scripture to find whether this terminology was sanctioned by it, I came upon this saying of the prophet, There is no contentment to the wicked, saith the Lord, as if the wicked might more properly rejoice than be contented regarding evils, for contentment is the property of the good and godly. I found also that verse in the Gospel, Whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so unto them which seems to imply that evil or shameful things may be the object of desire, but not of will. Indeed, some interpreters have added good things, to make the expression more in conformity with customary usage, and have given this meaning, whatsoever good deeds that ye would that men should do unto you. For they thought that this would prevent any one from wishing other men to provide him with unseemly, not to say shameful gratifications, luxurious banquets, for example, on the supposition that if he returned the like to them, he would be fulfilling this precept. In the Greek gospel, however, from which the Latin is translated, good does not occur, but only all things whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so unto them, and, as I believe, because good is already included in the word would, for he does not say desire. Yet though we may sometimes avail ourselves of these precise proprieties of language, we are not to be always bridled by them, and when we read those writers against whose authority it is unlawful to reclaim, we must accept the meanings above mentioned in passages where a right sense can be adduced by no other interpretation, as in those instances we adduced partly from the prophet, partly from the gospel. For who does not know that the wicked exult with joy? Yet there is no contentment for the wicked, saith the Lord. And how so, unless because contentment, when the word is used in its proper and distinctive significance, means something different from joy? In like manner, who would deny that it were wrong to enjoin upon men that whatever they desire others to do to them, they should themselves do to others, lest they should mutually please one another by shameful and illicit pleasure? 
and yet the precept, whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so to them, is very wholesome and just. And how is this, unless because the will is in this place used strictly, and signifies that will which cannot have evil for its object? But ordinary phraseology would not have allowed the saying, Be unwilling to make any manner of lie, had there not been also an evil will whose wickedness separates it from that which the angels celebrated, peace on earth, of good will to men. For good is superfluous if there is no other kind of will but good will. And why should the apostle have mentioned it among the praises of charity as a great thing, that it rejoices not in iniquity unless because wickedness does so rejoice? For even with secular writers these words are used indifferently. For Cicero, that most fertile of orators, says, I desire conscript fathers to be merciful. And who would be so pedantic as to say that he should have said I will rather than I desire, because the word is used in a good connection? Again, in Terence, the profligate youth, burning with wild lust, says, I will nothing else than faliumina. That this will was lust is sufficiently indicated by the answer of his old servant, which is there introduced. How much better were it to try and banish that love from your heart, than to speak so as uselessly to inflame your passion still more? And that contentment was used by secular writers in a bad sense, that verse of Virgil testifies, in which he most succinctly comprehends these four perturbations, Hence they fear and desire, grieve and are content. The same author had also used the expression, The evil contentments of the mind, so that good and bad men, alike will, are cautious and contented, or, to say the same thing in other words, good and bad men alike desire, fear, rejoice, but the former in a good, the latter in a bad fashion, according as the will is right or wrong. Sorrow itself, too, which the Stoics would not allow to be represented in the mind of the wise man, is used in a good sense, and especially in our writings. For the apostle praises the Corinthians because they had a godly sorrow. But possibly some one may say that the apostle congratulated them because they were penitently sorry, and that such sorrow can exist only in those who have sinned. For these are his words. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Consequently the Stoics may defend themselves by replying that sorrow is indeed useful for repentance of sin, but that this can have no place in the mind of the wise man, inasmuch as no sin attaches to him of which he could sorrowfully repent, nor any other evil the endurance or experience of which could make him sorrowful. For they say that Alcibiades, if my memory does not deceive me, who believed himself happy, shed tears when Socrates argued with him, and demonstrated that he was miserable because he was foolish. In his case, therefore, folly was the cause of this useful and desirable sorrow, wherewith a man mourns that he is what he ought not to be. But the Stoics maintain not that the fool, but that the wise man cannot be sorrowful. CHAPTER Nine. But so far as regards this question of mental perturbations, we have answered these philosophers in the ninth book of this work, showing that it is rather a verbal than a real dispute, and that they seek contention rather than truth. 
Among ourselves, according to the sacred scriptures and sound doctrine, the citizens of the holy city of God, who live according to God in the pilgrimage of this life, both fear and desire, and grieve and rejoice. And because their love is rightly placed, all these affections of theirs are right. They fear eternal punishment, they desire eternal life, they grieve because they themselves groan within themselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of their body, they rejoice in hope, because there shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. In like manner they fear to sin, they desire to persevere, they grieve in sin, they rejoice in good works. They fear to sin, because they hear, that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. They desire to persevere, because they hear, that it is written, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. They grieve for sin, hearing that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. They rejoice in good works, because they hear that the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. In like manner, according as they are strong or weak, they fear or desire to be tempted, grieve or rejoice in temptation. They fear to be tempted, because they hear the injunction, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. They desire to be tempted, because they hear one of the heroes of the city of God saying, Examine me, O Lord, and tempt me, try my reins and my heart. They grieve in temptations, because they see Peter weeping. They rejoice in temptations, because they hear James saying, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. And not only on their own account do they experience these emotions, but also on account of those whose deliverance they desire, and whose perdition they fear, and whose loss or salvation affects them with grief or with joy. For if we who have come into the church from among the Gentiles may suitably instance that noble and mighty hero who glories in his infirmities, the teacher, doctor, of the nations in faith and truth, who also labored more than all his fellow apostles, and instructed the tribes of God's people by his epistles, which edified not only those of his own time, but all those who were to be gathered in, that hero, I say, and athlete of Christ, instructed by him, anointed of his spirit, crucified with him, glorious in him, lawfully maintaining a great conflict on the theatre of this world, and being made a spectacle to angels and men, and pressing onwards for the prize of his high calling. Very joyfully do we with the eyes of faith behold him rejoicing with them that rejoice, and weeping with them that weep though hampered by fightings without and fears within desiring to depart and to be with christ longing to see the romans that he might have some fruit among them as among other gentiles being jealous over the corinthians and fearing in that jealousy lest their minds should be corrupted from the chastity that is in christ having great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart for the israelites because they being ignorant of god's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, and expressing not only his sorrow, but bitter lamentation over some who had formerly sinned, and had not repented of their uncleanness and fornications. 
If these emotions and affections, arising as they do from the love of what is good, and from a holy charity, are to be called vices, then let us allow these emotions which are truly vices to pass under the name of virtues. But since these affections, when they are exercised in a becoming way, follow the guidance of right reason, who will dare to say that they are diseases or vicious passions? Wherefore even the Lord himself, when he condescended to lead a human life in the form of a slave, had no sin whatever, and yet exercised these emotions where he judged they should be exercised. For as there was in him a true human body and a true human soul, so was there also a true human emotion. When, therefore, we read in the gospel that the hard-heartedness of the Jews moved him to sorrowful indignation, that he said, I am glad for your sakes, to the intent ye may believe, that when about to raise Lazarus he even shed tears, that he earnestly desired to eat the Passover with his disciples, that as his passion drew near his soul was sorrowful, these emotions are certainly not falsely ascribed to him. But as he became man when it pleased him, so in the grace of his definite purpose, when it pleased him, he experienced those emotions in his human soul. But we must further make the admission that even when these affections are well regulated, and according to God's will, they are peculiar to this life, not to that future life we look for, and that often we yield to them against our will. And thus sometimes we weep in spite of ourselves, being carried beyond ourselves, not indeed by culpable desire, but by praiseworthy charity. In us, therefore, these affections arise from human infirmity, but it was not so with the Lord Jesus, for even his infirmity was the consequence of his power. But so long as we wear the infirmity of this life, we are rather worse men than better if we have none of these emotions at all. For the apostle vituperated and abominated some who, as he said, were without natural affection. The sacred psalmist also found fault with those of whom he said, I looked for some to lament with me, and there was none. For to be quite free from pain while we are in this place of misery is only purchased, as one of this world's literati perceived and remarked, at the price of blunted sensibilities both of mind and body. And therefore that which the Greeks call apatheia, and what the Latins would call, if their language would allow them, impossibilitas, if it be taken to mean an impassibility of spirit and not of body, or, in other words, a freedom from those emotions which are contrary to reason and disturb the mind, then it is obviously a good and most desirable quality, but it is not one which is attainable in this life. For the words of the apostle are the confession, not of the common herd, but of the eminently pious, just, and holy men. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When there shall be no sin in a man, then there shall be this apatheia. At present it is enough if we live without crime, and he who thinks he lives without sin puts aside not sin, but pardon. And if that is to be called apathy, where the mind is the subject of no emotion, then who would not consider this insensibility to be worse than all vices? It may indeed reasonably be maintained that the perfect blessedness we hope for shall be free from all sting of fear or sadness, but who that is not quite lost to truth would say that neither love nor joy shall be experienced there? But if by apathy a condition be met in which no fear terrifies, nor any pain annoys, we must in this life renounce such a state if we would live according to God's will, but may hope to enjoy it in that blessedness which is promised as our eternal condition. For that fear of which the Apostle John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, 
he that feareth is not made perfect in love. That fear is not of the same kind as the Apostle Paul felt, lest the Corinthians should be seduced by the subtlety of the serpent, for love is susceptible of this fear, yea, love alone is capable of it. But the fear which is not in love is of that kind of which Paul himself says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But as for that clean fear which endureth for ever, if it is to exist in the world to come, and how else can it be said to endure for ever, it is not a fear deterring us from evil which may happen, but preserving us in the good which cannot be lost. For where the love of acquired good is unchangeable, there certainly the fear that avoids evil is, if I may say so, free from anxiety. For under the name of clean fear David signifies that will by which we shall necessarily shrink from sin, and guard against it, not with the anxiety of weakness, which fears that we may strongly sin, but with the tranquillity of perfect love. Or if no kind of fear at all shall exist in that most imperturbable security of perpetual and blissful delights, then the expression, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring for ever, must be taken in the same sense as that other, The patience of the poor shall not perish for ever. For patience, which is necessary only where ills are to be borne, shall not be eternal, but that which patience leads us to will be eternal. So, perhaps, this clean fear is said to endure for ever, because that to which fear leads shall endure. And since this is so, since we must live a good life in order to attain to a blessed life, a good life has all these affections right, a bad life has them wrong. But in the blessed life eternal there will be love and joy, not only right, but also assured, but fear and grief there will be none whence it already appears in some sort what manner of persons the citizens of the city of God must be in this their pilgrimage, who live after the spirit, not after the flesh, that is to say, according to God, not according to man, and what manner of persons they shall be also in that immortality whither they are journeying. In the city or society of the wicked, who live not according to God, but according to man, and who accept the doctrines of men or devils in the worship of a false and contempt of the true divinity, is shaken with those wicked emotions as by diseases and disturbances. And if there be some of its citizens who seem to restrain, and, as it were, temper those passions, they are so elated with ungodly pride that their disease is as much greater as their pain is less. And if some, with a vanity monstrous in proportion to its rarity, have become enamoured of themselves, because they can be stimulated and excited by no emotion, moved or bent by no affection, such persons rather lose all humanity than obtain true tranquillity. For a thing is not necessarily right because it is inflexible, nor healthy because it is insensible. CHAPTER Ten. But it is a fair question whether our first parent or first parents, for there was a marriage of two, before they sinned, experienced in their animal body such emotions as we shall not experience in the spiritual body when sin has been purged and finally abolished. For if they did, then how were they blessed in that boasted place of bliss, paradise? For who that is affected by fear or grief can be called absolutely blessed? And what could those persons fear or suffer in such affluence of blessings, where neither death nor ill-health was feared, and where nothing was wanting which a good will could desire, and nothing present which could interrupt man's mental or bodily enjoyment? 
their love to god was unclouded and their mutual affection was that of faithful and sincere marriage and from this love flowed a wonderful delight because they always enjoyed what was loved their avoidance of sin was tranquil and so long as it was maintained no other ill at all could invade them and bring sorrow or did they perhaps desire to touch and eat the forbidden fruit yet feared to die and thus both fear and desire already even in that blissful place preyed upon those first of mankind away with the thought that such could be the case where there was no sin and indeed this is already sin to desire those things which the law of god forbids and to abstain from them through fear of punishment not through love of righteousness away i say with the thought that before there was any sin there should already have been committed regarding that fruit the very sin which our lord warns us against regarding a woman whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart as happy then as were these our first parents who were agitated by no mental perturbations and annoyed by no bodily discomforts so happy should the whole human race have been had they not introduced that evil which they have transmitted to their posterity and had none of their descendants committed iniquity worthy of damnation but this original blessedness continuing until in virtue of that benediction which said increase and multiply the number of the predestined saints should have been completed there would then have been bestowed that higher felicity which is enjoyed by the most blessed angels a blessedness in which there should have been a secure assurance that no one would sin and no one die and so should the saints have lived after no taste of labor pain or death as now they shall live in the resurrection after they have endured all these things chapter eleven but because God foresaw all things, and was therefore not ignorant that man also would fall, we ought to consider this holy city in connection with what God foresaw and ordained, and not according to our own ideas, which do not embrace God's ordination. For man by his sin could not disturb the divine counsel, nor compel God to change what he had decreed. For God's foreknowledge had anticipated both, that is to say, both how evil the man whom he had created good should become, and what good he himself should even thus derive from him. For though God is said to change his determinations, so that in a tropical sense the Holy Scripture says even that God repented, this is said with reference to man's expectation, or the order of natural causes, and not with reference to that which the Almighty had foreknown that he would do accordingly god as it is written made man upright and consequently with a good will for if he had not had a good will he could not have been upright the good will then is the work of god for god created him with it but the first evil will which preceded all man's evil acts was rather a kind of falling away from the work of god to its own works than any positive work and therefore the acts resulting were evil not having god but the will itself for their end so that the will or the man himself so far as his will is bad was as it were the evil tree bringing forth evil fruit moreover the bad will though it be not in harmony with but opposed to nature inasmuch as it is a vice or blemish yet it is true of it as of all vice that it cannot exist except in a nature and only in a nature created out of nothing and not in that which the creator has begotten of himself as he begot the word by whom all things were made 
For though God formed man of the dust of the earth, yet the earth itself, and every earthly material, is absolutely created out of nothing. And man's soul, too, God created out of nothing, and joined to the body when he made man. But evils are so thoroughly overcome by good, that though they are permitted to exist for the sake of demonstrating how the most righteous foresight of God can make a good use even of them, yet good can exist without evil, as in the true and supreme God himself, and as in every invisible and visible celestial creature that exists above this murky atmosphere. But evil cannot exist without good, because the natures in which evil exists, in so far as they are natures, are good." and evil is removed not by removing any nature or part of a nature which had been introduced by the evil but by healing and correcting that which had been vitiated and depraved the will therefore is then truly free when it is not the slave of vices and sins such was it given us by god and this being lost by its own fault can only be restored by him who was able at first to give it and therefore the truth says if the sun shall make you free ye shall be free indeed which is equivalent to saying if the sun shall save you ye shall be saved indeed for he is our liberator inasmuch as he is our saviour man then lived with god for his rule in a paradise at once physical and spiritual for neither was it a paradise only physical for the advantage of the body, and not also spiritual for the advantage of the mind, nor was it only spiritual to afford enjoyment to man by his internal sensations, and not also physical to afford him enjoyment through his external senses, but obviously it was both for both ends. But after that proud and therefore envious angel, of whose fall I have said as much as I was able in the eleventh and twelfth books of this work, as well as that of his fellows, who, from being God's angels, became his angels, preferring to rule with a kind of pomp of empire, rather than to be another's subject, fell from the spiritual paradise, and, essaying to insinuate his persuasive guile into the mind of man, whose unfallen condition provoked him to envy now that himself was fallen, he chose the serpent as his mouthpiece in that bodily paradise in which it and all the other earthly animals were living with those two human beings the man and his wife subject to them and harmless and he chose the serpent because being slippery and moving in tortuous windings it was suitable for his purpose and this animal being subdued to his wicked ends by the presence and superior force of his angelic nature he abused as his instrument and first tried his deceit upon the woman making his assault upon the weaker part of that human alliance that he might gradually gain the whole and not supposing that the man would readily give ear to him or be deceived but that he might yield to the error of the woman for as aaron was not induced to agree with the people when they blindly wished him to make an idol and yet yielded to constraint and as it is not credible that solomon was so blind as to suppose that idols should be worshipped but was drawn over to such sacrilege by the blandishments of women so we cannot believe that adam was deceived and supposed the devil's word to be truth and therefore transgressed god's law but that he by the drawings of kindred yielded to the woman the husband to the wife the one human being to the only other other human being for not without significance did the apostles say and adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived was in the transgression but he speaks thus because the woman accepted as true what the serpent told her but the man could not bear to be severed from his only companion even though this involved a partnership in sin he was not on this account less culpable but sinned with his eyes open 
and so the apostle does not say he did not sin, but he was not deceived. For he shows that he sinned when he says, By one man sin entered into the world, and immediately after, more distinctly, in the likeness of Adam's transgression. But he meant that those are deceived who do not judge that which they do to be sin, but he knew. Otherwise, how were it true, Adam was not deceived? But having as yet no experience of the divine severity, he was possibly deceived in so far as he thought his sin venial. And consequently he was not deceived as the woman was deceived, but he was deceived as to the judgment which would be passed on his apology. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me, and I did eat. What need of saying more? Although they were not both deceived by credulity, yet both were entangled in the snares of the devil, and taken by sin. Chapter 12 If any one finds a difficulty in understanding why other sins do not alter human nature as it was altered by the transgression of those first human beings, so that on account of it this nature is subject to the great corruption we feel and see, and to death, and is distracted and tossed with so many furious and contending emotions, and is certainly far different from what it was before sin, even though it were then lodged in an animal body, if I say any one is moved by this, he ought not to think that that sin was a small and light one because it was committed about food, and that not bad nor anxious, except because it was forbidden. For in that spot of singular felicity God could not have created and planted any evil thing. But by the precept he gave, God commended obedience, which is, in a sort, the mother and guardian of all the virtues in the reasonable creature, which was so created that submission is advantageous to it, while the fulfillment of its own will in preference to the Creator's is destruction. And as this commandment enjoining abstinence from one kind of food in the midst of great abundance of other kinds was so easy to keep, so light a burden to the memory, and above all found no resistance to its observance in lust, which only afterwards sprung up as the penal consequence of sin, the iniquity of violating it was all the greater in proportion to the ease with which it might have been kept. End of Book 14, Chapters 8-12 through 12. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org.